And today, we need to learn that a right look at Christ's death will change you because it changed at least one of those who sat there looking at our Lord dying upon the cross. Now, we have learned over a couple of weeks that the Israelites were saved by a look. They were to look to that pole with the brass serpent when they were bitten by the servants. And they were told that everyone that would look would be healed, and they were. We learned last week how C.H. Spurgeon was converted through the text, Isaiah 45, 22, where the Lord said, Look unto me, all ye ends of the earth, and be ye saved. And if sinners are ever going to be saved, they need to look by faith to the Lord Jesus in his death. But you can't look unless you know the facts. Welcome to Let the Bible Speak, and today again we turn to the cross of Calvary, looking to Jesus. Never stop looking to Jesus. That's our theme today, and we have a hymn on at Calvary. Also, we have Valerie Moniz to sing Jerusalem. We begin with the thought that the Lord Jesus kept it very much a secret of what he was going to do at Calvary. He spoke to the disciples and gave them certain clues yet he hid them from their eyes that they would not get in the way of him going to the cross. Here the Lord Jesus said, And they shall scourge him and put him to death, and the third day he shall rise again. And they understood none of these things. And this saying was hid from them, neither knew they the things which were spoken. Now, of course, after the resurrection, when the angel prompted them, they then remembered the words of the Lord Jesus. But for that period of time, during the arrest and the actual crucifixion and the hanging of our Lord Jesus upon the cross, these disciples had not really clued in that this was the determinate counsel of God. And you remember how when he was to be arrested that they would have taken a sword to defend the Lord. And the Lord said, "'Put up thy sword.'" Shall the Son of Man not drink the cup which the Father giveth him? So the Lord Jesus was determined to go to the cross. He was planning to go to the cross, and he was ready to lay down his life. And we learn there the Lord's determination to suffer and die. There was no attempt by him to escape the will of his Father and that mission to suffer and die for sinners. He did not seek some lesser way by which he could fulfill this mission, but rather he prayed that the Father would give him grace and strength to drink that cup, the cup of wrath that he must endure, that he may suffer in our place. Thank you for joining with us on the program. I trust the Lord will bless you today as we turn to our pulpit ministry on this message, Never Stop Looking to Jesus. Dreams of 
leaders were also there. If you look at verse 41, uh, the Roman guards sat down and watched him. But it says in verse 41, likewise also the chief priests mocking him. Uh, they were not seated, perhaps. They were not as close to the cross as the Roman guards. They were 
yet within earshot. They were within distance by which they could mock him, whether they were smirking and smearing at their peers around them, or whether they were looking up into the face of the Lord Jesus as he hung on that cruel cross. These religious leaders were there to persecute, to mock the Lord Jesus. And they represented the apostate church. They represent the church that would not have Jesus. They were religious. They had historical beliefs. They were of the culture of Judaism. But these were the religious critics who opposed the cross. Now, would you look at verse 42, and you'll hear their mockery. He saved others. Himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him come down from the cross. What a religious bunch is this? These are men who are opposed to the cross. They had no comprehension of why he was there, no understanding of what this death was about. And they were mocking, if you be the son of God, come down from the cross. You see, they represent a crossless religion a bloodless religion, and they want a sanitized Jesus, one who is free from shame and from such suffering. They are the doubters of this world who say, come down from the cross. Now, I'm not sure if you really understand why the Lord Jesus was dying on that middle cross, but in the purpose and plan of God, he was there to reconcile men to God. He was paying the price of sin. He became a sacrifice, the lamb, the substitute in the sinner's place. And our Lord was determined to go to the cross and die on that tree that he might be a savior of sinful men. But these people said, come down from the cross. I trust that today that your interest is, Lord Jesus, you did this for me. And you went all the way to Calvary in my place. You were condemned. You stood in my position because I should have suffered for my sin, but you took my place. We also read that the two thieves were there. We're thinking of the people at the cross, the two thieves. Both of them earlier, before the hours of darkness, they languished on the Lord and they criticized, and they rebelled against him. But we know that later, after the darkness, one was saved, and he prayed, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And there was a mighty work of grace done in his heart. Now, it has been well said that one of those thieves was saved, that we may all have hope. And even though you have never, ever heard the event of the cross and the death of Christ before, you can be saved today. You can be a believer. You can immediately, instantly accept the death of the Lord Jesus as your salvation. But one of those thieves perished that nobody should ever presume. You cannot presume that because Jesus died on the cross, the whole world is going to be saved from hell. 
You cannot presume that everybody will be a Christian. You cannot presume that you are saved. You cannot presume that you have peace with God. It is faith. It is the prayer of calling on the Lord that saves you. Now, also, as I go down the chapter to verse 55, I see that there were many women there. And it says, And many women were there beholding afar off, which followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering unto him, among which was Mary Magdalene, and Mary the mother of James and Joses, and the mother of Zebedee's children, watching afar off. Of course, they had no part of the crucifixion. They were sympathizers in the distance, viewing, looking on at that death. But they were believers, and they had a definite interest in the cross. And as they looked on in the midst of their tears and the horror of what they were seeing, they understood, this is my Lord and my Savior. Now, the people at the cross includes every Christian. If you remember that little poem, each of my crimes became an ill and unbelief the spear. I was not in the garden when Jesus knelt to pray. I did not kiss him on the cheek when Jesus was betrayed. I could not do a single thing to harm God's only Son. But every time I sin on earth, I feel I am the one. I'm the one that shouted, Crucify! I'm the one that made the cross so high. I'm the one that stood and watched him die. What have I done? I'm the one. And that's not far off the mark, because Paul the Apostle said, I am crucified with Christ. When Jesus died, I died. Because of the union that is between a Christian and the Lord Jesus as the branch in the vine, because we are united to him, when our Lord Jesus died on that cross, we as believers died. We were in him, united to him. And when he paid the penalty on the cross, he paid it for me so that we are set free. And if you will look to Jesus today and believe on the Son of God, you could say, I was there at the cross. You could say, I was there because Jesus suffered in my place as my substitute, as my lamb, and my sins were laid on Jesus. I bear them no more. They are gone. Every one of his elect sheep were in the bosom of the shepherd when he died on that cross. And as Christians, we find this our hope and our great confidence that I was there at Calvary. I died when Christ died. My sins were kneeled to the tree, and the blood that Jesus shed made atonement that I have peace with God through my Lord Jesus. Now, there's one person who was not there at Calvary. If you go on down to verse 46, it says, About the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why 
hast thou forsaken me. There's one person who was absent from the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus, especially during those hours of darkness. You see, Calvary was divided into two three-hour periods, 9 a.m. to noon, the sixth hour, uh, the third hour to the sixth. That was 9 a.m. to noon, and that was man's hour. Those were the times when man interposed and crucified the Lord on the cross. At noon, when the darkness shrouded over Calvary, that was now God the Father's hour. And the darkness that encircled Calvary was the darkness of rejection. It was the darkness of God's wrath. God turning his back upon his own son. And it tells us that God spared not his son, but delivered him up for us all. And in that hour, our Lord Jesus felt forsaken when he cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And God in his wrath forsook his son because he became the sin bearer of his people. You see, God cannot look upon sin. He can't look upon sin. And when our sins were laid on Jesus, he became a mass of sin. He became a focal point of all the sins of his people, past, present, and future. Every sin was laid on him. And the holy nature of the God of glory could not look upon his own son in that burdened, laden state of sin. And so God rejected his son. God turned away from his son. And all the wrath of God fell upon the Lord Jesus. And in those hours of darkness, the Lord was forsaken. And through it all, those soldiers sitting down, they watched him there. As the official recorders of the facts giving what is now part of Roman empirical history to corroborate what we have in the Word of God. Jesus, the Son of God, really died. What else did they see when they looked there? Well, my third main point really is the passion that they witnessed. Sitting down, they watched him there they saw the crown of thorns on his head, Calvary thorns that mocked him, the mark that he became a curse. And the more significantly, the thorns represent the curse which our Lord Jesus underwent. His work, of course, on that cross was to remove the curse, was to take the curse away. When sin came into the world, it brought thorns. When our Lord Jesus offered up himself on that cross, he was to remove the curse and take it from us. They saw the Lord's body that had been stripped naked. You remember how they had formerly put on a, a purple robe on our Lord to mock him as a mock king. They took that purple robe off and put on his own garment. But now as they watched around that cross, they gambled for the garments of the Lord Jesus. They looked upon him in his nigh naked body, nothing but his loincloth for an undergarment. And they saw the body of Jesus. They saw the nails in his hands and his feet. They saw the blood that poured from his wounds, redeeming blood, 
crimson blood, scarlet blood, blood for our redemption. I'm just giving you the facts of what these men who sat around that cross saw. And every Christian has a particular interest in the blood of Jesus that he poured out. And we rejoice to see that blood. It's the blood of cleansing for us. These men also saw the darkness that shrouded around Calvary. It's one of the great miracles of the cross. The three hours of darkness. It wasn't a mere orbital eclipse, but it was the judgment of God that descended. See, darkness is representative of judgment. When God judged Pharaoh, he sent darkness to Egypt, light to Israel in Goshen, because Pharaoh was under judgment. And there at the cross, these men saw the darkness. They saw the very outer symbol of the wrath of God. These men also saw the body of Jesus taken down. It was later at the command of Pilate when Joseph of Arimathea came along and he asked for that body and they observed the body. The Roman spear that went in under the, the rib cage pierced his heart, outflowed blood and water. The evidence that he was dead. He offered himself up to death and they took him down from that cross. They robed him in grave clothes, put him in the tomb and sealed it with a rock. He was dead. Jesus died. That's the history of his death. Christ died. That's history. Christ died for us. That's the doctrine. That's the gospel. That's the good news. Jesus died for us. Why did he die? I'll sum it up in one word in closing. Morality may keep you out of jail, but it takes the blood of Jesus Christ to keep you out of hell. He came to save us from hell. And if your faith is in the blood of Jesus that he shed, the death that he rendered, you're saved. You're justified freely from all things. You're a Christian. You are blessed of God, and you have peace with God through the Lord Jesus. I hope that you from the pew today have been sitting wherever you're sitting, and sitting down, you have watched him there. You've got your eyes on the Lord Jesus to look to him. And the text we had last week, look unto me, all ye ends of the earth, and be ye saved. That's the gospel. That's how you become a Christian, by looking to the death and the wounds, the blood of the Lord Jesus. May the Lord keep you looking. And as this service is over, may you go home, may you get your Bible, may you go to Matthew 27, read and reread, and keep looking until you sit there and weep with faith in what Jesus has done for you. Look, sinner, look. Never stop looking to the wounds and the suffering of Christ. This is Ian Golliher. I appreciate this opportunity just to call on you and to speak to you about your own need 
of a Savior. I want to encourage you to get a copy of our booklet, A New Beginning. It's free of charge. You can have one copy or more for your friends. And it is a vital message because it lays out in heading form and verse by verse why we need a Savior, who the true Savior is, and how you may receive Christ as your Savior. This is vitally important. It is not enough to know about Jesus. You must call upon him to be your Savior. And, of course, the Bible leaves no room for error. We cannot afford to be less clear on this answer to the question, what must I do to be saved? If you're asking that question, here is God's answer in simple terms. Most people have little conception of the hatefulness of their sin in the sight of God. And that is why we've taken such pains to emphasize this point already. Only when you see your need will you be willing to apply God's remedy. And of course, the steps that are outlined here, and I'm giving you the headings, acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he alone is able to save accept and act upon the promises of the gospel, not upon man, but upon the promises. And then you make confession of sin to the Lord. That is absolutely necessary. And then trust in the merits of Christ, the work of Christ alone. That again is absolutely necessary. So here is this little booklet, A New Beginning, and I'd love to send it to you free of charge. Give us a call, send us an email, go to our website. You'll get all the details coming up now in these announcements. You are listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio broadcast of the Free Presbyterian Church in Canada. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. If you missed part of today's program or would like to hear it again, you can find it archived by program date on our website. Just go to www.ltbs.ca, CA for Canada. There you can read my blog, find my Bible study notes, audio and video sermons, as well as helpful articles. Or you can go to our podcast on iTunes. We're on the air Sundays at 9.30 a.m. for our full church broadcast and Monday to Friday, 5 a.m. and 5 p.m., on this station to bring you the gospel from our free Presbyterian church here in Cloverdale. We also invite you to our church services on Sundays, 10.30 and 6 p.m. Through our website, you can listen and view to our online services at 10.30 and 6 p.m. Make it your Sunday worship. Click on the Live Now button on the home page of our website. Or if you would like to talk with me one-on-one as a pastor, please give me a call. The phone number is 604-897-2040. The mailing address is 187-9058 Avenue, Surrey, BC, V3S1M6. We're located just two blocks north of Number 10 Highway, on 188th Street. Our website again is ltbs.ca. You can join us Monday to Friday, 5 a.m., 5 p.m., here on this station as we let the Bible speak.